This is the Primary Languages Network podcast. Absolutely delighted to introduce this podcast with Suzanne O'Farrell, ex-secondary head teacher, passionate about all things languages, a delight to listen to, and Suzanne now works with ASCL and is leading on supporting primary and secondary school leaders in supporting effective modern foreign language provision in schools. Three, two, one. Okay, we're here on a surprisingly sunny day in uh, Altrincham today, so we're, we're quite blessed with that. I'm also blessed with uh, having Suzanne O'Farrell with us today. I'm going to let her introduce herself to you guys because she'll be doing a much better job than me. So, Suzanne, over to you. Right, thanks. Well, it's been great to be here today. Well, first of all, I'm passionate about languages, so that's uh, perhaps the most important thing for you to, to hear. But my background is um, I was... Um, a languages teacher a long time ago, French, German, Spanish, and uh, taught um, languages in Kiel University uh, um, program as well. I was head of department and uh, head teacher, and I introduced um, the IB actually in my school as well to make sure that all pupils had access to languages. And since leaving my headship five a bit years ago, I am now I'm as I work for the Association of School and College Leaders for ASCL, and I'm now their MFL policy associate. So, so supporting. Um, the revival, recovery of modern foreign languages across all schools um, in England in primary and secondary and helping school leaders understand the the importance of uh, that um, enabling subject. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But it's a great time, actually, at the moment to be thinking about globally about the benefits of language learning. And there's some great research out there at the moment talking about the the benefits that uh, languages can bring. So it's about um, sort of reawakening that that interest at the moment in, in embracing all things European and beyond. I suppose you must be kind of speak, speak, trying to translate in a way what the t- schools are saying to then report into the people. So maybe more, maybe the Department for Education. You're trying to translate across. Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes the Department of Education believes in the sort of stick approach with its accountability measures. I think we would want to reposition our debate around ensuring that everybody involved in providing languages thinks it is a, a valuable part of a rich. Um, education and curriculum that everybody should have and enable and the transferable skills it brings with it the confidence the the benefits for young people of any age really to try and see if we can get more people being you know willing to learn languages otherwise we're going to not have language teachers in the future yeah and that's uh, exactly what we don't want i mean us at our ourselves at private language network it's something that we're obviously passionate about and we can tell just by chatting with you today that you're so passionate about trying to revive something uh, and, and we're looking at potentially the link, the linking between the Key Stage 2, Key Stage 3 is a big... I, I think that's at the nub of it really because there's some, I've seen some fantastic things happening here today at Primary, um, the network, Theatre Labour Languages Network today and there are some great things happening in secondary but too, all too often we have this historic mistrust of each other's context and setting. So I think we need to break down those barriers and really make sure that um, secondaries or primaries are sort of um, secondary attuned and, and that secondaries are primary responsive really in terms of really embracing the level and expertise that the children I've seen performing today have with them to, to bring secondary. For sure, yeah. Um, so a little bit about yourself. Um, how old were you when you first learnt language? 
well, it's going to give my age away. But I suppose I, I well, When start, did you start learning no, no, I, Well, I'm Welsh, actually, believe it or not. So I started learning Wales with uh, um, the Irth, Gobaith uh, Cymru, back in, in the 70s. And uh, my, my passion for languages started on a, a year seven, well, it was year seven now, trip to Brittany when I was aged 11. And I could not believe the... the the beautiful countryside, the, the welcome, the, the, I loved the language. I, and from that moment onwards, I think the seed was planted. And ever since, I've been a, a lifelong language learner. In fact, this evening, I'm off to an Italian class okay. now that I did you, have time. Did you, ever, um, did you ever live abroad? I, lived, I chose a course at university that had the most time abroad. So I had a year in France and I had six months in Germany okay. as well. So yes, I had that time during my studies, but I've not... I, I, other than that, I've, other than travelling, no, I've never lived more than you know that that time during my studies abroad. Okay, okay. And w- what I've got a list of questions we we kind of derived together, derived together. So, which languages and age groups did you teach when you were an MFL teacher? Um, I actually taught uh, French, German, Spanish, and Japanese. So when Japanese. languages okay. were for all, uh, I think I forget the date, some point in the 90s, I decided that in my uh, comprehensive in rural Staffordshire, it would be a good idea to teach some reluctant learners a brand new language. So I was learning Japanese at the time myself. And so uh, we taught Japanese and we actually performed at a language show at Wolverhampton Uni- um, University, actually, just basic um, greetings phrases. But it, it really did give some confidence to some much needed um, you know, to the pupils. Wow, how much Japanese did you know? Um, not a huge amount, but I was learning it. Yeah. I went on a study course at Bath University um, to do some more, and then um, and then I had children, and they got okay. in the way. But a bit more than the people you were teaching. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. I did re- run an evening class once for Japanese in my local village, and I was a bit surprised. It was a six-week course, and on the first evening... Uh, quite a few Japanese people came up that were working locally in JCB, and I do remember being very frightened of that first um, uh, lesson, particularly as I'd never been to Japan myself, yeah. but uh, um, I, I think they didn't stay for long. Yeah, I, I uh, had a great mentor when I was trying to become a PE teacher, just told me, if there's any subjects that you're weak at, or any sports that you're weak at, just know one more lesson than the, than the children, just know one more, that's all you need, and just stay one ahead the whole time, and you'll, you'll learn it in the end, so that's, I just found that quite entertaining so how do you um, so you've picked, you've gone from MFL teacher to head teacher how, how long did you how long were you um, teaching I, for before well I was te- I think I was about um, oh, I can't remember now actually uh, I was head teacher I was deputy for five years and I was head teacher head of department for about five years so I think, and then I must have been teaching for sort of three or four years before that. Okay. So yes, uh, which role in my early forties, I think I became a head teacher. Which role did you did you prefer? Did you prefer like the head of department, deputy head? Um, I actually prefer, one of the roles I really liked was being head of sixth form. Okay, um, yeah. which is what I did part of the time when I was deputy because you were running your own school and you were dealing with pupils at that fantastically age, age sixteen to eighteen, when it's really formative. I, I think in the end, I probably enjoyed being um, head teacher because okay. you, you are queen bee. Yeah. <laughs> you can, can make all the decisions. What can a head teacher and, be then? Well, I, 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 I'd love, I was care. I've been at the same school actually. I went from yeah. head of department, deputy, and head all in the same school. So it was like my school and my yeah. community. So I felt very proud of this. The, I think the thing I was most proud of was the curriculum. I was really proud of introducing the International Baccalaureate because I wanted to give that global perspective. Yeah. And, and we had all three languages at A-level um, in school as well, thriving, and people wanting to 
to learn. So I think you do bring your own values to a, to a school. You can shape it. You can shape people's lives. You can determine what you want to spend your money on. And uh, you can try and give the best possible start um, to, to, to young people. So, yes, it's an enormously privileged role yeah. to be in. I think these days it's slight. Well, I, I left about um, five years ago. It's slightly more difficult because of the lack of teachers and the lack of funding in yeah. the education system. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a tall order at the moment, really, given the challenges. For sure. Did you, did, were you a smiling head teacher or were you a, a stern, not stern, but, you know, reserved the smiles only for special occasions? What kind I of think teacher? all teaching is acting. So you yeah. take whatever role you want, whichever is most appropriate at yeah. the time. So if you have to go and remove a pupil from a class, you do it in the most gentle, quiet way. And there's a time when you need to, you know, to, 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 to re- but sometimes children have um, homes where they're shouted at a lot. And, it's just and not you have to yeah. realise that that isn't always the best way of, of yeah. dealing with people. So, um, and you show them respect, really, what, what all the time I think you, you, you listen and you show respect. Yeah. So you have to earn it uh, as well. And they have to believe that you're sincere and that you're acting in their best interests all the time and you yeah. want the very best for them. But there's always this good in in everyone you have to, for sure, to, yeah. to think as a teacher. I suppose doing the, the when you were in charge of sixth form, that probably was a really good training ground for you because they are more like real people, like actual adult people at that age. And so you can really see, you know, you can really tell that this, this method doesn't work with these. But it, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say is it's more like you are dealing with nearly, very nearly adult people. You um, you are, you'd think that. Although they just put put on a suit between leaving, doing GCSEs and turning yeah. up a few months uh, later in, in sixth form. And sometimes they are uh, impervious to the best advice as well that you yes. want to give them in that time. But they do change dramatically during that time. They, they, they really develop and find their way and develop their interests and decide what they want to go on to do. And when we used to have children doing four A-levels and, and ASs as well, languages was obviously a, a fourth one for quite a lot of people that they chose. And then they decided to carry on with it. They developed that love for it. So it, it's a shame at the moment that uh, that provision post-16 is, is dwindling, really, for yeah. languages. Yeah. What, do you have any spe- really special moments where you're like, yeah, there's, uh, the, the, any moments in that head teaching career where you're like, oh, that was cool? I really enjoyed that. Oh, probably dancing on stage yeah. or creating videos for them for Leavers Day where you, they, you did something unexpected and uh, you surprised them uh, around that. And they, they believe you have to conform to a certain role as a, as a, as a head teacher. But any language teacher will, will have a certain amount of enthusiasm and um, Craziness. spontaneity, <laughs> yeah, I think so. So it, it's just sort of um, showing them a real glimpse of you as a real person sometimes. Yeah, I can say, I can, I can, I'm trying to picture myself back to... When you kind of see that teacher, that head teacher, or that teacher that you is really, you can tell they're really driven, and then just seeing them ever so often show their true personality it was always a nice moment. You know, getting to see, oh, right, no, she seems pretty cool, or he he seems like quite a crazy person. Yeah, there's something nice about that. Um, yeah, if they call you a legend now and again, it's yeah. okay. If you get the legend status, then you've absolutely made it. But where, <laughs> I don't where know if I ever did that? Where, no, definitely not. Where were you head teacher? In Staffordshire. In Staffordshire. In a, in a, sort of a, a comprehensive school, really, that served us catchment area of 240 square miles so we were the only school in the area so we we, we really did pride for everybody we had a school farm uh, as well and we had uh, a school the, farm yeah we oh, did we had uh, Tamworth pigs and um Brilliant. oh um I can't remember that Herdwick sheep sheep yeah we had yeah it's a very unique school really in, in that respect and so we took everybody from the local area and um, but I wanted what I wanted to do was everybody to want to come to the school yeah. not just because it was the local school it was it was a good school yeah so okay so from your experience as a head teacher then and an MFL teacher 
where are the challenges then in regards to MFL and keep the upkeep and getting people, our children motivated again? Um, I think, well, obviously what happens in society doesn't help sometimes with English being sort of lingua franca and we have to try and do everything possible on, on TV, on adverts, in our political life to show that we are not a nation of, of, of monoglots and that we um, are willing and capable to, to learn languages. It makes a huge difference if we can say sort of small things. Um, and I'm always impressed by some of our you know, footballers, politicians, sports people mm. that do learn another language. And I think we should make more of those as role models. Yeah. There's um, one ITV. There is, is, I've forgotten his name, but there is an ITV... Um, football commentator who you just wouldn't believe was Spanish could speak Spanish and he, he, was, he was interviewing a Spanish player like because he couldn't speak English and it was like whoa and then why is why have I seen him on TV for 15 or 20 years yeah. and never seen him speak Spanish before yeah. we, so it's a, crazy just having things dubbed as we do if we had them yes. subtitled would make a, a, a big big difference for that I think so that's one in, in school I think we have to um we have to give more funding, really, to, to perhaps prolong, to encourage the uptake of small A-level groups because the f funding situation is so dire in schools mm. that groups that aren't perceived to be viable because they've got large numbers are not thought worth putting on, and I think that has to change. I think we have to um, create terms so that we value languages in, in a curriculum and we look at the benefits that those bring mm. you know, and it's not perceived as hard. We may need to look again at the GCSE content and, and the A-level to think, are they the most uh, ex things that people should be learning at that age? Is it age appropriate? Is it right to, to do that? Because the new GCSEs are more difficult. Mm. And we need to get grading right at GCSE because at the moment, thanks to a historic anomaly going back to 2006, it is more severely graded than other uh, EBAC subjects like history and geography about half, uh, about a full grade difference this year, really? 2018. Yeah. So that so deters and disincentivizes you know? young people, and of course it doesn't help you know schools with accountability measures. So there's a whole area of things. But I am pleased that we're about to launch um, a national recovery program, or that Baroness Cousins from the um, in, in the government is about to launch a, a national recovery program to support it. NASCAR's very proud to be part of that. Yeah, so this leads us now to a good segue on to ASCAL itself. So for those, if you want to kind of briefly explain ASCAL for those that don't know anything okay. about yeah, it. Yeah, ASCAL is the Association of School and College Leaders. So essentially it's the senior leaders union that uh, most senior leaders in schools, uh, secondary schools, and certainly a growing number in primary schools would belong to. So at the moment we have 19,000 members so we provide, provide um, support, um, for, um, we provide training, we provide guidance, we um, you know, have a hotline, we give advice on anything in terms of running a school. And so we've got a website and, as well, and one of the areas that we're about to develop is going to be an area of support for school leaders, anybody involved in sort of managing languages in mm -hmm. primary and secondary with resources and support and explanations um, to to enable them to do their role slightly easier. Mm. I, um, I I was really intrigued by the school kind of um, blueprint and the ideas for schools in regards to creating more of a growth mindset in schools and the ability to to try and challenge schools to self improve. That's what I read a lot of. If you want yes. to explain a bit about well, that, well, yeah, we we really believe that the profession should be a self improving system. 
and that we should have support for each other for each other's to, um, to to bring about that improvement, and it shouldn't necessarily be imposed all the time, top down by the, by the government that we have the wherewithal. We know the profession best. Mm. Uh, we we've now got a obviously a, a chartered college, which is is good. And if we look at other professions like the medical profession. You know, following their example, really. So sometimes there is too much government um, intrusion, intervention, uh, and things change, and we don't have a long-term commitment to developing policy. Everything changes with the change mm-hmm. of government, and it's short-sighted. So that that's really our ambition. So it's, you're trying to empower the school yeah. by going. So so but so you're not trying to stop them from being from the criticality. You're trying to get them to be more critical themselves. So looking yeah, at maybe, what's our school good at, yeah, yeah, what's exactly. our school not so good at. Asking the right questions, having yeah. being challenged robustly, peer to peer support. I think anybody who's been a teacher always wants to evaluate uh, their practice and and improve yes. and, and get better. I think that comes with the terrain. So it's asking. Uh, the, the right questions there to constantly want to and not have things change you know, to, to value what is what is important which can't always be measured sometimes no and that's really interesting because I, I, one of the points you said about inspection on the website or Haskell says about inspection is that it shouldn't be judged at the moment it's being judged too harshly on schools but then you're asking teachers to challenge themselves more to develop their ability. So if you can get that, if we can get that correct, where they don't feel too much like stress pressure from uh, the yeah. Ofsted in a sense, but then still, but then encouraging them to be more critical of themselves and the school they're in. It's a good relationship. It is. I mean, high stakes accountability system always has its its negatives. It makes us teach the test. It puts pressure. It perverts behaviours. So we have to get that balance right between. You know, we know with high-stakes testing in schools, with our own children, that it isn't as effective as low-stakes testing sometimes. I'm not advocating low-stakes testing. I do think we have to have a system of accountability sure. and we have sure. to report on the effectiveness of schools, whether sometimes you can reduce that to just a, a grade or a number, uh, I think is difficult. And we mm. need to start looking more holistically at the the benefits of um that people are bringing to school. We've got rising mental health problems. We've got, you know, all sorts of issues in school, whether which makes us realise that the wealth, welfare and well-being and positivity are aspects of um, whole school curriculum and development that should not be overlooked. So, it, it, as, you, as you say, well, it's getting the balance right. Really. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's now more important to get that right than, than ever really with with uh, some of the sort of crises we're facing and social yeah. media added into that doesn't help as well because it's to me it's it's easy like, just from my observations I got when I was a teacher I was observed a lot by because in the schools I was in I was ended up getting a lot of different ob- observations and the stress became the observation as opposed to the process that might improve the situation you're in and that's not that's that's due to whatever but if 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 the focus was more on how can we improve our processes mm-hmm. to improve the school surely that is going to contribute to an end grade that's going to improve yes. we have to so it would it, it's actually i feel like the mindset at the moment is just fear of offset yes, as opposed to can we look at the processes and improve upon ourselves and move and that's what i was really intrigued to see you thinking growth mindset yeah, really it is. Cool. And, and to, for too often, it's just been the performance of the teacher. And it's been, you know, when Ofsted observed, it's all singing, all dancing. Can you, yes. be, you, know, can you show progress in 20 minutes? Well, we know learning is, is invisible and different. And I think <laughs> there are now 
conversations being mm. had about the longer term aims of what you're trying to achieve and, and, and how you're going about it and more time for a conversation rather than making a, you know, a, a judgment because I, I think the people, the observations of lessons and the gradings have been proved that actually that's impossible to do accurately and fairly and I'm pleased to see that that's been withdrawn for a while now so that's a great but, comment though they, yeah. learning is invisible that's a really good way of putting it that's a really good way of putting it it, it, it. it is really when you when you look at it yeah. how, how can you tell that it's a very very complicated process and certainly yeah. can't be seen going in to to a lesson of, of, of 20 minutes yeah um, how much can be learned in 20 minutes really yeah. like actual consolidated learning how much can be learned yeah well so, it depends if it's in your long term or short <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a very difficult job but of course the problem with Austin is that if they go into inspect schools they've got to look at teaching and learning because that's what schools are about for sure so it, it, i'm not in no way lambasting Austin yeah. at all because i think that we if we compare us to say other countries and our processes we're doing pretty well Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and that's another yeah, thing that yeah. you say on your website is we should be praising ourselves a little bit more. We're constantly being negative about ourselves when actually when you look at the majority of schools, they are good and outstanding. Oh, the majority. Absolutely. Well, 80, 87%, I think, now are yeah. good or outstanding. So in no so, way um, am I lambasting Ofsted. I don't think that whatsoever. No, not at all. It, uh, it, but the fear, uh, the fear factor is then when we have a new framework just around the corner. The problem is, I think, that... Your, your perception is very much based on your previous experience yes. of it. So yeah. it's, despite their rhetoric about a new framework um, and about discussions and about the absence, you know, the impact on workload, um, it'll take a while, I think, for us to really see whether that can be delivered. Because if we're focusing more on the curriculum and the quality of education, then it, it is going to be difficult to reduce that to, to a grade, one particular grade effectively, because some of those things are, are not about impact, they're about yeah. provision, and they're, they're not measurable. No. So, here's a question then. How can you encourage teachers to, to further challenge themselves without increasing their workload? <laughs> I think collaboration and, and, yeah. and, and sharing uh, are, are for, for that. And actually, one of the, um, the most important um, aspects that's come through through improving teachers is actually... Uh, you know, there's lots of people that write about this, but one of them is, is Philip Accordingly from Curé, who talks about reciprocal peer-to-peer -peer observation, whereby somebody is not your 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 boss or it's no sort of hierarchical position compared to yourself, but actually is a peer, and that's where you've got the low-stakes support, and that you can learn from each other more effectively. Mm. So if you create the appetite, if you've got open classrooms or you've got some sort of collaborative where where you are encouraged to go along and and look at the um, you know how the pupils are performing on, on particular aspects and you're, you're developing your understanding and progression that way rather than being top down I think the profession could improve itself mm. very effectively through that mechanism yeah wow and did you apply any of these methods in your secondary school was there anything I don't <laughs> want to put I've learned everything since I've left so I yeah, think everybody should have the opportunity to yeah. stand back sometimes yeah Yes, you, you, we did, you did some, and actually, but like anybody probably in my position would say, if you had the opportunity to do that again, you would do some things differently. Yeah. You've learned such a lot through being, uh, through working through ASCL, uh, and, and actually we've just moved on as a, as a profession in terms of what makes great teaching. For sure, yeah, for sure. What, you know, how, 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 all the cognitive work around how children learn yeah. is really interesting at the moment, and I think that that is, if I were a teacher or head teacher now, I'd certainly be trying to ensure that some of my subject leaders had access to some of the great research at the moment about uh, great teaching, great learning, and more importantly, how children learn, and then getting children to understand how they learn as well okay. themselves. And, and what helps them and what doesn't help them. For example, just highlighting a revision guide. 
does not help them pass no, the GCSEs. No. What, what, what makes a great teacher then? What do, what do you say? Um, I think relationships is one of the most important things about a teacher. I used to observe lessons sometimes and I'd be watching outside and I'd just watch how the teacher greeted the class because mm -hmm. that could be enormously indicative of how the lesson was going to go because it, it is all about acting. So yeah, just relationships, I think um, the, having very, very well planned the sort of overarching aim of where you want to get to sequencing it effectively, um, enough challenge really, and, and, and making sure that you are challenging pupils. I sometimes think that we over scaffold, we give too much help and we don't make children learn. When they have to think hard, that's when they learn. Yeah. And it's creating those conditions in the right way in, in lessons whereby there's enough support but not too much so that they are, they are challenged. I um, saw a fantastic lesson from one of our associates who's an extremely passionate French teacher, she's French herself, and she nearly broke into tears when one of her students changed um, changed an article into, uh, changed something into just, so for example, changed um, the boys into them without her telling her just from previous learning but that's such a big edit, yeah so yeah, for, i'm not surprised i think that and for me i've always been incredibly when i've tried a lot of different things in terms of hobbies and stuff I've, I, I like to pick up different hobbies and what i like to do is i like to figure out why somebody enjoys something so much mm -hmm. and it's never it, it's never the big things it's always the little things that that keep somebody passionate onto mm -hmm. something keep something strong on something because you never get as you get better at something the the big moments don't happen that often mm -hmm. and happen much less often so it's seeing and what i see in a passionate leader or teacher is somebody that is really obsessed about very small things that only someone who's been involved in it for so long truly understands. Mm. So that for me is one thing I think I've always noticed in someone who's really passionate about what they're delivering is they know they know when something big's happened, when it's really quite small. Well, that's quite a breakthrough moment though, that isn't it? It is. That it is, is a massive the breakthrough. The manipulation moment. of the language to be able to do that. For that? sure, yeah. yeah. And and I think she was just taken aback by it because yeah. I think it was a year five class, yeah. relatively smart school. It was a yeah. it's a pretty pretty smart school, but she was she was taken but aback by it. The thought processes behind that and and, yeah. and and the thinking if that's year five you'd be really happy if your year 10 or year 11 people did that. For sure, for sure. But to somebody else from the outside in, they wouldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. They wouldn't yeah. be able to see what's happened. Um, so obviously there's a skip, there's her understanding of the topic and whatnot, mm. but it's also just her, you could see her passion for the small things mm. that are big things. She knows mm. how big that is, but it could look very small to somebody else. And she's, so I, that's something I see in like a really outstanding teacher is somebody who's really passionate about the small things in, in learning, mm. uh, learning whatever mm. that skill is. So let's see if there's any other good questions I've got. Um, so why did, why, did you, why did you start working for ASCO? Um, oh, I don't know. I've been at my school a long time and I fancied a new challenge, really. So you, tried, you, you didn't start off a little bit of ASCO and then so you went straight from ASCO, from head teaching? Yes, I did, yeah. You wouldn't have any time for head teaching. No, I went, no, I went straight through... Um, um, being head into yeah. um, working for Ascal as their curriculum um, and inspection um, specialist, actually. So to actually, I suppose one of the reasons when you're a head teacher, you are, it's like juggling lots of plates on sticks and you feel as if you're flying by the seat of your pants sometimes. And <laughs> one of the attractions for Ascal was I could become an expert in one particular area yeah. and sub give support and guidance in, yeah. in that area to schools and, you, you know, it's still helping people and I think what I liked about it was that everybody has the same aim which is to do the very best for children and sure. adult uh, schools 
Um, so yes, it's been enormously rewarding, actually, and different the last five years to, to get to see how education policy is formed. I, mean, I do think sometimes that perhaps the blissful ignorance that school afforded was a preferable option to okay. seeing the realities yeah. of how education yeah. policy is made. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, it, it's, it has been, um, and now, must I say, my role is now centred on mainly on supporting modern languages. And, and how much is how, how much of your time is spent now inside schools? In terms of speaking to, do you, do, where do you spend your time now? Do you spend um, time? Well, it varies. Yes, I've done a lot of school visits right mm-hmm. around the country, which is interesting. I spend time um, in, 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 with Ofqual at the DfE in different meetings of school leaders. So I've yeah. just come back from council last week for three days, uh, where we had um, over a hundred school leaders with us. Um, just debating educational issues, so you, you do get to hear first hands with the realities as well, and issues where we were we were debating the uh, the new Ofsted framework actually, and oh, wow. uh, and seeing what head okay. teachers' response to that was <laughs> mixed, I can say. <laughs> as you could probably have, guess. have you ever considered Ofsted being working for? Ofsted? Um, no, I did do the training as a head teacher, really, in order to empower my own yeah, school to that do makes that, sense. but. Um, yeah, no, I'm not sure I want to, we call it going over to the dark side, I'm not sure <laughs> I really want to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. I, I, I do find it a little bit You'd have to it whisper it to your, to your ex-colleagues, I'm working for us today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, we thought you were one of us. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, and so with this new project you're working, or you've been starting to work with, I don't know how much you can or cannot say, I don't know, so... But it's called language. Discover language. Well, no, discovering this language has been around for a long time. So that was um, or a right since around since two thousand and three when we made the original application. So it was about supporting primaries because we were very concerned back then that there was an inconsistency of approach. Uh-huh. So the project's been rumbling on all that time. I've now taken over as project director of it, but they've widened the brief so that I won't only just support, you know, advocate that, but actually I'll do anything I can to promote languages in primary and secondary but actually since that was made as well the world's moved on with social media with VLEs with AI with podcasts like we're doing now so in terms of resourcing things there may be different ways that we can do uh, support for languages slightly differently and and um, so that I'm just looking at the moment to see what it is that can be done so it might be something even like getting writing a um, some support for, for governors and in how they can ask the right questions about primary yeah. languages, support in, in, in helping primaries and secondaries look at the position and centrality of languages in the curriculum because the, the revised Ofsted framework does place more emphasis on uh, the, the whole progression of key subjects like modern languages from primary right through to secondary. So there's, there are opportunities for us to think differently now. Cool. All right. Well, we uh, we'll, we'll just we'll just finish. I, I really I wish I could speak for another twenty minutes with you, because or however much longer, because it's been I, I really enjoyed finding out some stuff. It's cool to interview somebody of that you seems like you've done you've you've gone from um, not saying there's anything wrong with being an MFL teacher, but you've gone from MFL teacher to head teacher up into more of a more of a, the top of the umbrella kind of trying to sort stuff out. There, it's incredible. I've got some questions to ask. I always ask everybody I interview. So number one is, what's your favourite day? Uh, what's your favourite day of the week? Oh, what my favourite day of the week would be? Oh, I don't know. A Friday. Friday. Yeah, okay. Friday. F- time on a Friday. What time? Oh, well, time when it's wine time, really. <laughs> <laughs> six o'clock. What? Okay, okay. So I was like, oh, what two? What? Uh, six o'clock on a Friday. Uh, what time of the year? 
Oh, unfortunately, I, like, I, I suppose I'd go for June. June, I, I yeah. Like June. So my birthday's in June. Yeah, that's a nice a time. time to celebrate. Uh, final two points are what's your favourite music? It can be an artist or, a, or an album or a song that you kind of, what's that one you listen, you listen to the most? Um, oh, who do I like? I like orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. Okay, oh, I don't yeah. know. That. You've probably never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a listen tonight though. And then finally, food, favourite food? Oh, um, seafood. Seafood, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Right, it's been fantastic, Suzanne. Um, and, well, uh, thank you very much for asking me. No problem.